In, in lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with, with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. And Lakeshe Nadira, she's the Empress who tells it like it is. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the Royal Empress. blessings. Welcome to this week's Conversations with the Royal Empress. Joining me, Hakima, are my fellow co-hosts Akila and Lakashe Nadira. This week we discuss, is there a self-identity crisis among Black women in the community? Sisters, what do you think? Is there a crisis, a self-identity crisis amongst Black women in the community? That's a really good question. And there are many who would argue that there definitely are some issues with our identities in the community because I have seen more hair hanging down to our butts than I've ever seen before in my life. I've seen more makeup tutorials that change completely the way that you look, that you almost look like a completely different person when you pull the makeup off. I've seen this need to always use our credentials to validate us. Those are just a few observations that I have. And of course, not everybody who wears a weave or who, you know, has have their makeup game on point, nor those who have credentials and talk, discuss them, doesn't mean that they all have an identity crisis. But I just think that some of those are symptoms in some people of an identity crisis. It just really, I think, depends on the extreme, the extremeness of it. And why you do what you do. Like, what is the mindset when you do it? And you got a lot of women that will argue, well, no, I just like it. I just like this and won't really acknowledge that I like the image that I see when I look other than myself or I don't feel like I can stand on my own merit. So I have to put this accolade out there in order, you know, to, to, to validate who I am. And being Black is just not good enough. That's wow, just, that's a mouthful. Being black is just not good enough. Hmm. Is that the root of it? Is it? Is that the main issue that people have? 
a problem with being black? And and when I think about that, when you mentioned that being black is just not good enough, it took me back to a couple of things actually. But you know how often within our community, I don't, I'm not in other communities that often, so I really can't speak to whether or not this is even a conversation. But I've heard over the years, even growing up, how, whether it be male or female, but I've heard how people love to express and let others know how they are associated with something that others and ourselves consider to be non-black or far from black. Example, yeah, my, my great-great-grandparents, they Native American or, you know, <laughs> I'm from this tribe or, you know, my mom and I was from, you know, <laughs> yes. is, does that mean that being just black, that's just not good enough? That you have to find something else that you can attach yourself to so that you can mix that in with being black and somehow that just makes you better or greater. And if that's the case, then what is your idea or what is your thought process when it comes to? just being black because if i have to add something in it's like having a pot of soup <laughs> you know here me and my analogies but having a pot of soup and you feeling a need even though i we you picked it up maybe somebody else cooked it for you you got it from a restaurant and you feel the need to dump a whole thing of salt in it that means it wasn't to your liking it didn't you know meet up to your standards your taste buds weren't just weren't having it so you have to add something to it. You have to give it a little extra flavoring <clears throat> to make it better than the state or the condition that you originally found it in. So being black is just not good enough that I have to add a little bit of salt and pepper mix. I have to let you know that my great granddaddy and my great great grandfather, you know, was Irish or he was, you know, whatever. We can go down the list. and. <clears throat> To me, that's, um, well, it says a lot. <laughs> we'll just put it right, put it there. It says a lot about what we think of ourselves when we have to add something else to mix us up. Because just being mixed with black ain't enough. What do you all think? No, I agree with you. As you were talking, I was thinking about, I had a black psychology class when I was an undergrad. Can't remember my professor's name, but we we studied the curse theory of color confrontation and all of these different works when I had this class. And she said something. She said, There's a problem with you with your identity as black people when you bring up the fact of what else you're mixed with when nobody even asked you the question. Hello, teach on that. Teach on that. She said, and she told, she said, if nobody questions you and asks you about your racial identity, why are you bringing it up? And yeah. that 
for me, when she said that, that was just so, it was so powerful. I was like, wow. And so those were conversations that I would never have. And, you know, we always, I guess, because we, we're mothers and we have children, I guess there's always moments that we can talk about with, with our, you know, that we said to our children. And so I always, when, when children had those conversations at school about what they were mixed with, and my child came home and said, well, uh, don't we have this type of blood? I said, no. I said, those type of people owned your family. I said, but even if so, what difference does it make? Is it relevant? And so those those conversations didn't take place with, you know, and I think I told you all this on a podcast before a a boy asked, they asked him, what was he mixed with? He told him black and African. (laughs) Perfect answer. Perfect answer. But that's empowerment. Mm -hmm. That's helping with the identity of oneself and it's making a young mind comfortable enough with themselves that they can stand on their own two feet because now look at the first conversation opposed to the second conversation i'm not sure how many years in between but the first conversation was him asking you well mom aren't we mixed with or don't we have some you know the next one he didn't have to come back to have a conversation with you because you've already made it very clear. So now his response automatically is, I'm mixed with black and African. <laughs> I love it. But again, this speaks to a parent or a mother, which is where it starts, because if we, will, if we really want to get to the root of it, it speaks to what it is that we present to our offspring as an example. It speaks to what type of information do we feed our children so that they can have a healthy concept, identification, and relationship with who they are and where they come from. This is providing your children with the knowledge of themselves. Therefore, they're not confused. And later down in life, no one can come and take that away from them. But when you fail to do that as a parent, then what happens is it's easy for someone else to come and tell you about what you are, what you mix with and what looks better and, or either get a reaction from you when they, someone says, oh, you must be mixed with such and such. And then you go to smiling. Why would that cause you to smile? <laughs> what is your problem? Like I can remember uh, for myself, and this was years ago, but this was during a time when I was coming into the knowledge of who I was because I didn't necessarily, you know, I didn't, I wasn't born with the knowledge um, in terms of coming in, being in a household of a family that taught me these things. This was something that I was blessed to come and learn later down, later in life, you know, like, like my late teens, early, well, like, yeah, about late teens, 18, 19, 20 but I can remember being on the campus of Loyola 
University over on the north side of Chicago and being, you know, I'm coming into who I am. So I'm doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying, and it seemed like this particular semester was one of the most challenging times of me being in school, particularly because everything that I was learning was totally opposite or against when, and when I say everything I was learning, I'm speaking of everything that I was learning in school was a complete contradiction to everything that I was learning about who I was. So I had classes that were teaching me about, for example, women in Islam and how, you know, we were, um, you know, oppressed. Then I had a class that was teaching me about the Big Bang Theory, science. And then I had a class that was teaching me about, you know, how we all evolved from monkeys and apes. Then I had a class that was some type of African literature or history class, <clears throat> you know, that were teaching me things that I knew as I was learning were not true. So I'll never forget being in class one day. I mean, and I'm sitting there and the teacher is talking, who happened to be a black teacher, excellent teacher. She was an African literature teacher. And she was teaching about some of the things that took place in um, slavery and how many of our ancestors, you know, were, um, you know, because of race mixing, because of rape and all that kind of thing, that, you know, we had a lineage or a history of, you know, black or white blood. Now, that bothered me, even though naturally most people know that's true, but that bothered me. That pissed me off. It angered me because at this point I'm learning so much. I didn't want that to be possible. I didn't want anybody's blood in me. <laughs> so I'm angry. I'm listening to her. And I remember raising my hand and I'm, you know, yelling out. I'm like, well, not me. And so she was like, well, what do you mean? Not you. Now, mind you, the entire class, with the exception of maybe about four or five students, were predominantly Caucasian. So I'm like, not me. And she's like, well, what do you mean, not me? I was like, I don't. My family, we don't have no white blood in us. And I mean, I'm huffing and puffing. I mean, I'm angry. And so she's looking at me like, poor child. But so she, you know, instead of just dissing what I was saying, she asked me to explain. And I could barely even open my mouth. I was so mad trying to get it out. I'm like, well, I don't because, and I mean, I'm yelling and screaming. And then I remember this woman or this young lady who was sitting across from me uh, who happened to be a Caucasian girl, she turned around with tears in her eyes. But why are you so mad? Like, why are you so angry that you would have our blood? I said, because I don't want to be like y'all. I don't want y'all blood in me. <laughs> like, and I was, I was serious. Like, I was an extremist. And it's just, it was just so funny, of course, as I look at that now. But that's how um, painful, I felt at that particular time that I was so angry with some of our history that I did not want that to be the case. Like, I felt like if it's anything in me that comes from these people, I don't want it. But again, you know, I was much younger and I had a whole lot more growing to do and a whole lot more knowledge to learn. But you talk about self-identity in a crisis. At that moment in time, I was definitely in a crisis. 
I think our crisis, the self-identity crisis would be null and void if our people understood that our identity should be as such. The, I am the original man. The original man is the Asiatic black man, the maker, the owner, creator of the planet Earth, God of the universe. And in that sentence, man also includes woman because woman is a man with a womb. That's what a woman is. So we created of the same essence. So in that sentence is our identity of who we are. We are the original man and woman of this planet. We are gods of the universe and that's, that's our true identity. Until we accept that, we gonna continue to walk around and be lost. Absolutely. I think this is one of the main reasons why we walking around trying to add hair onto ourselves. Like what's wrong with the hair that we have? or trying to add, like you got, it's a big thing in Africa, but the bleaching cream that, so I don't understand that, but trying to lighten our skin. Who are we, if we accept our own and be ourselves, we wouldn't be trying to lighten our skins. What, what, what's wrong with the skin that we have that it needs to be lighter? So, I mean, just if we understood who we are and accepted who we were, we wouldn't be running around trying to be someone that we're not. We just look like an insane person like the people in a mental institution that walk around, I'm a doctor and they're really not a doctor, they're a mental patient. And you, and looking at a person like that, you're like, you out your mind. That's what we look like when we walk around trying to be something that we're not. We want our hair to be longer than Caucasian women's hair. They hair ain't even down to their ankles, but for some reason, we go add all this hair, like we either a Caucasian woman or Asian woman, or just anyone that's other than a black woman, this is what we will emulate and try to imitate because that's to the extent that we hate ourselves is to the extent that we try to be like others. So the more we try to be like others, we demonstrate the more that we hate. We, we demonstrate as how much we hate ourselves. And this is, this is absolutely um, true. And it is a issue that has been a bad or a dark cloud over our community for a very long time. See, it's one thing to have the knowledge of who you are. It's another thing to perhaps be shown some of the knowledge, but not fully comprehend and understand what that actually means as it relates to you. And it's another thing that to have every day with, um, in our existence, we see various examples that teach us that on the other side or the green, the grass is greener on the other side or, you know, from the television to social media, all of these different things influence what we consider to be beautiful. And we know this. I mean, these are things that we've talked about on our podcast, but of course I don't like myself. Of course I don't love myself. If every day when I wake up and I turn on a television or every day I look at just about any um, newspaper in the checkout stand, you know, or anything that I pick up is showing me what the world considers to be beautiful. And so I'm constantly being hit in, in, you know, in the face with this every day and forced to accept it. So it's like when you're dealing or you're growing up 
in a household that also accepts this as the truth and as fact, and this is what you see practice on a day-to-day basis, then you have no choice but to accept it as your reality and your own. It, it takes me back to um, recently I saw a video and this video was of, of a young girl. She looked to be maybe, I don't know, maybe five, maybe four or five or six. And this is a, a black girl. And she had a wig on. And this long wig. And every time whoever was recording, you know, they would show, they would show her on the video, but then somebody would snatch the wig off of her head. And every time that wig was snatched off of that little girl's head, she would lose her mind. She would yell and scream and pout and have a tantrum. Then they would give her back the wig and she was satisfied, almost like somebody taking a bottle out of a baby's mouth. So they snatch it off of her and she loses it. They give her the wig back and she's, you know, looking in the mirror or whatever and she feels good. She feels comfortable. And this is what I believe a lot of people, when they don't have these different attachments, whether it be hair weave, whether it be, you know, eyelashes that's 10 feet long, whether it be eyebrows that look like, you know, Dracula or Godzilla, whatever the case might be, whenever we don't have these things that we think make us whole, then we feel empty inside because we were we were already empty to start with. We did not have uh, something that we really felt that we could identify with that we consider to be beautiful because the whole world is telling us that no you are ugly this again is why with to Akilah's point of what she was sharing earlier about her son and how she was able to from the very beginning make it very clear to him what was acceptable but not only that who he could actually identify with as a young black boy and how accepting his own and being himself was perfectly, you know, fine. Unfortunately, most people either don't have this as an example, and they can only take from the scraps that's being handed out, you know, as what they must accept. You know, it's so interesting to me because we love, we were just speaking earlier about, we love to talk about what we mix with. If people like to walk around and talk about they mix, why don't they do a DNA test and find out what African tribes they mix with? You can talk about you mix with this, you mix with that. You can talk about all the things you mix with. I mean, if, if we're so into the unknown and trying to find something, then we should take that energy as a people and get our DNA tested to see what, what the results reveal. That's what I think. We love talking about being, love talking about like being mixed. <laughs> but well, the DNA test, you go know, you go know, you mix with a lot of different tribes. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, in truth, does does one really want to know the truth? Because what would happen if you found out that you ninety nine point nine point nine 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 percent shoot from the darkest place within the continent? That might piss you off. And now you can have the so-called claim to fame of being attached and saying that your great-great-grandmama or your great-great-whomever <laughs> is such and such, whatever, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like we pride ourselves on that. 
So yeah. sister, to ask somebody to do such a thing, unless they're already comfortable with who they really are, nobody's trying to do that because now that's going to really force me to just accept that I'm black, that I'm African, that I'm, shoot, I'm from the whatever tribe. You understand? I don't want to do that because I've been trying to get away from these niggas. Ooh. I'm trying to get me another identity. <laughs> so how dare you tell me about taking a, a DNA test that's going to connect me with the very people that I hate? Nah, nah. Or, 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 or it'll give some people clearance to say, see, I, I knew I didn't identify as much. I think right. that part of this, really, it's, as, as you guys are talking, it, the only thing I'm thinking about is, I mean, the, the whole world, in essence, has been colonized. And so the colonization of our minds is what has created the identity crisis, I believe, in Black women and uh, other women as well. Because this is a world thing. This is, it's not just here. You can go to other cultures and they're all doing things to look less like themselves. And so when somebody has dominated and, and told everybody else that they were ugly, it takes me back to Black psychology when we were talking about the crest with Dr. Francis Crest Wilson, and she gave the example of the shiny red wagon and how if you, the child has this shiny red wagon and because the other children don't have it, they start telling them what's wrong with the wagon and calling it ugly and all of that because it's something that they don't have. And that's what was talked about in terms of melanin with us is that they lack something that we didn't have. And so you try to turn that, that thing that you don't have into something that's ugly. And so then you create a situation where you make that person hate what they have because they look at it like, oh, it's ugly. Oh, it's not good enough. Oh, it's not that. And that's kind of where that, I think, where that comes from. And it's just that we've been bearing the brunt of that for so long that if you can walk onto the continent of Africa and they're bleaching their skin or they're doing the same things, it's like, how are you in Africa doing this? But I believe it's, I don't want to misquote, but I want to say that some things were banned. Uh, I can't remember. I, I want to say Zimbabwe. But I'm not really for sure which country the president actually banned. Yeah, I believe that it was Zimbabwe where they banned the bleaching cream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was Zimbabwe. And, um, then, and then the sister that won, the, uh, that won a beauty pageant, her president said, but oh, you know, he talked about the fact that it would have been nice if she would have had her natural hair showing versus the straight hair that she wore to the pageant. And I thought, hmm, okay. So you do have some people that, that you think, and so when you're on the world stage, like, well, we can look at these beauty pageants. And somebody is telling you that this is the definition of beauty. And so then you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, well, I don't look like that. Well, I don't have keen features so maybe i need to go chop my nose off because my nose is too wide you know i don't have i mean people actually go and get dimples put in their faces <laughs> you know what that's it's, it's so is the self-sabotage that we do to fit in and again i get it i, I mean i really do everybody wants to feel loved everyone wants to feel accepted Everyone wants to feel like they belong to something, especially that which they in their mind believe is beautiful. So I get it. But it is at what cost? 
at what cost are you willing to really truly sell your soul? Because that's really what you're doing. You don't mind laying on a table for several hours to have somebody to put you under a knife, to cut out, carve out, input, take out. Look at all of the many women who have suffered because they have been given injections in their behind to enhance it because they weren't satisfied with what they were gifted at birth. Or died on the table. And died on it. Absolutely. Look at those who, you know, don't have any problem with knowing that there is a um, substance that is not even natural that has been injected into your breast. You know, something that in 10 years from now, five years from now, they're going to come out. FDA is going to let you know. You know, if the government ain't on shutdown, but FDA is going to let you know. <laughs> that, you know, that there's this causes some kind of cancer or what have you. So a lot of the things that we do speaks to the level of risk that we're willing to take, which equals the amount of hate that we have for ourselves or the dislike that we have for ourselves that equals hate because we are willing to put ourselves out there in such a way and we don't even care about the cost. All we want is to be satisfied with the outcome so that we can quote unquote equal ourselves up to the very people that have oppressed us you know, for um, so long. And it's unfortunate because when you were talking, the first person I thought about was our beloved sister, Lil' Kim. Mm -hmm. You know, when I see her, I'm not even trying to exaggerate, but I, I, I just want to break down my whole soul, my body, my mind. I just cry out for the sister because <laughs> in truth, in her mind, I'm a, I mean, she, she thinks that she really looks good. And I had posted, um, I know we posted on our Royal Empress page, the picture of her with all these other sisters. And, you know, here you see her face, one color, and then you look down at her hands. Now, I don't know, maybe that was Photoshop. I don't know. I don't think it was. But we know that she does not look the same. We look at somebody like a, a Latoya, you know, Jackson and, you know, we can name, we can go down. We look at somebody like a Vivica Fox uh, or Tony Braxton. This has become like a fad to literally just go in under the knife to construct or reconstruct your face to fit what you think, you know, is beautiful. And so what, what you really are saying, to, and this is my question now in right here, and this really, in truth, is probably another podcast in and of itself. But if you can go so far to do that, does that mean that you're anti-God? I say this because if you believe that God created you, that he has something to do with the outcome of the way in which you look, and you decide to go back, and have it reconstructed to look like something other than yourself, 
isn't that going against God's will? I mean, I don't know. Does that mean you're anti-God? But anyways, that's <laughs> that's not a question that you really have to ask. I'm just, just made me think. <laughs> but I want to answer well, that quickly. Because, let me say this. I don't know if it means that you're anti-God because some of it is our own community. The things that we do to one another. For instance, the sister, and not that I really want to even talk about that documentary, but the sister who's who, who is supposed to have started the Me Too movement. And you look at all of the memes that people have created about her calling her KRS2 and discussing, you know, her large nose and, and calling her ugly and all of these things. And we do that to people. And so we make people insecure. And some of this is, even though we may want to emulate someone else, but a lot of the problems we have is in our own communities ridiculing and criticizing our own people and so you may have this girl who wakes up and feels like she's beautiful until somebody else who looks like her tells her that she's not good enough or your nose is too big or your lips are too big or your this and that and so then people grow up with this thing not so much that they want to emulate white people this is just another side of it not that they want to look like them but that they don't want to look like what my brothers and sisters told me i look like so some of it may be that, and and if psychologically somebody has planted such seeds in you, it may not be that you're anti-God, it just may be that you have just, it's such a deep-rooted, that the seeds that were planted took root and they grew. But it grew in a negative way because now you see yourself as other people who have criticized and ridiculed you see you. And so you don't want to see that image because now it has messed with your self-esteem and psychologically damaged you. Well, it does prove that we're disconnected from God because our connection for God, for our connection to God would minimize that. I mean, as a people, I'm saying, if I have a connection with God, I wouldn't be making mockery or putting down my brother and sister. If I have a connection to God, what people say wouldn't matter anyway, because I would look at them as you lost. So the the system of white supremacy that 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 helped destroy our connection with God is the is the main culprit, and us buying into that mindset of white supremacy, like you said, our people may not see a white person the first 10, 15 years of their life, but they will see each other, and we'll put each other down. I remember um, my mom told me her experiences growing up, and she told me, she said, when I was young, you know, anyone dark-skinned was not considered beautiful. And she said, they would always say to her, you black, you ugly. And my mom said that I ain't listening to them. I told them people what to think about me. I told them I'm beautiful. So when they started all that, my mom said, I didn't listen to that. But a lot of people don't have that strong mentality to do that. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Some, like you say, some people, they take that in and then that's watered. And then they start to agree with what everyone has said to them. It's unfortunate. But from this point on, how we break that cycle is we have to teach our children that you're from God and God is, God is beautiful. So therefore, you're beautiful because he created you. 
we have to we have to teach our people to get away from that. We have to teach our children to stop making mockery of one another. What will make a stronger community is when we step in and check people and say, you know, you out of pocket because that's a black sister or that's a black brother and they're beautiful because they black. We have to start correcting our, our the way we think. We have to start correcting the way our peers think. We have to start correcting the way our children think in order for us to get out of this mindset. 100% agree. And I think that, that that's really, shoot, we might need to just jump into solutions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, for that, real. That was, a, that was a solution, huh? Exactly. <laughs> that was a couple exactly. of solutions. But it's the truth. Part of, because part of it is, is that you've been, obviously, you were taught to hate yourself. And so it's the, it's the same, and we've used this analogy before, too. If you put a string, if you if you tie an elephant down where he can't move, once he psychologically believes that when he's tied up, he can't get away, you can put a string around his leg and he still won't move, not realizing that he could break that string. So it's been embedded in you for so long that you pass that that behavior down generation by generation. When you got families that, like Shay, you talked about this before, you checking the ears of the baby when the baby is born. Mm. Mm. You, you know, you, you, you sit up and say, oh, this one think they better because they're, because they're this complexion, but yet you're the one that's treating them different. Because right. Or what about, I don't know if anybody has seen, and this, this, some of this silly, thick foolishness, unfortunately, comes from like, you know, people's great grandparents and grandparents, but I understand, I get it where you take the nose, you see the nose and you try to pinch it. I don't know. Is anybody familiar with that? <laughs> what? Where they no, will no, 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 take no. the baby's nose if they see that it's too big. You know, when it, they come out, the nose is too big. They'll try to, they pinch it every day. You know, oh, wow. and pinching it, you know, squeezing it so that it can, I guess, in their mind, their sick, foolish mind thinks that it'll get smaller. Wow. You know, I think I mentioned before, even a family member, of mine who uh, made a, a, a ill comment by stating when my um, youngest was born, like, oh, I finally got me a hunky. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> and, and, and as, sick, as sick as that is, as painful as that is, as, as, as crazy as that is, this is going back to understanding the mindset of where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Now, I was always told that it was shaping the nose, not necessarily trying to make it smaller. Because well, hell, shaping it, shaping it. How the hell are you going to shape it? I mean, <laughs> I'm not asking you really. But I what think, do you mean? <laughs> I think because, you know, the, because the cartilage in the nose is so, uh, at that time, it's, it, you know, it's, I can't even think of what I'm trying to say, but a lot of times babies aren't born with bridges. You know, they don't have that bridge like we have. And so I've seen people say you want to shape the nose so that their nose is not, I've never heard them say make it smaller, but just, I guess, so that it's not oddly shaped or that they bridge is right or whatever. I don't know what that came from, but. Um, and maybe that could have been it, Akila. Hell, I, what I thought. Yeah. Where I perceived it is you was trying to make it smaller because it's like, what are you telling? Doing? <laughs> yeah, they, say, they do it I, 
area where the because the baby doesn't have a bridge. Mm, okay. You can't, you can't do nothing with that that with that flared part at the bottom, but you can try to help to shape the bridge of the baby's nose. I don't know if you really can't. I just know that that's what the old folks used to say. And then, and of course, also with the head, they would have you do certain things to to shape the baby's head too. Yeah, I remember. I do remember and recall that. Um, you know. Um, so it's it's interesting because a lot of the things that we do learn, I mean, we learn them from, you know, our parents and their parents, yeah. and that. whether they have any type of legitimacy whether it makes sense we'll fight you on it we'll, because we're going to do it so and it's interesting i remember and this is kind of off subject but not really but i do remember how when i was going through um premarital counseling prior to getting married to my husband and our um counselor and the minister who who married us you know, he talked about how within relationships, oftentimes one of the biggest issues is not because of communication or lack of finances, but it's because of the, uh, the or family origin mm -hmm. and where, how different people were raised. Yep. And that usually is the thing that causes some of the biggest arguments and challenges in relationships. So just with the example that, you know, or we were just talking about, you know, with things being passed down from, you know, our parents and our grandparents, sometimes even when they don't make sense, but yet we still follow it and we really don't even understand the history or the reason or anything. We just follow it just because. Yeah. We make it a tradition in our house, in our family, and we pass it on never thinking to ask the question like does this make sense you know i heard a story kind of <laughs> that reminded me of this where i think it was like a <clears throat> um a grandmother passed down a recipe and it was like some kind of uh, i think it was like a pot roast or a meatloaf i don't remember the the ingredient but she always made it <clears throat> and would pack it into this baking dish and the you know her her children who she passed on this recipe because they watched her all the time they would do the same never really understanding why they were doing it they were just following the footsteps of the person who had passed down this recipe and then one day somebody just thought to ask well the reason was because that was the only dish that she had you know she didn't have anything that was large enough to actually fit the pot roast. That was the largest dish that she had. So she had to pack it in that dish. But if that one question had not been asked, this would have continued generation after generation, not really understanding or thinking that maybe hell it made the meat juicier. I don't know. <laughs> but do you see how foolishless, foolishly, foolish, excuse me, we will follow things never questioning it, never really fully understanding it, but following it simply just because it's been passed down. So the same thing is seen within our communities, going back to our question of the evening about self-identity and the crisis 
you know, do we have them? Do, do they exist within our community? You know, indeed they do because we have been passed down bad information. We have been passed down hatred of one another. We have not been good stewards. We have not been, um, or some of us, not all of us, have been in situations where our, those who are responsible for giving us truth and information didn't really love themselves because they weren't loved. And therefore, the only thing that they had to give us was what they had. And if they didn't have love, then how could they possibly extend love? As we're talking about passing things down hmm. and just thinking about our hair. And when I hear women say, oh, well, I have to have a relaxer because my hair is too kinky. And the reality is, is that somebody taught you that. Somebody taught you that. And somebody also taught you that your hair ain't going to grow. You know, because we are foolish enough to think that only Caucasians have long hair. Mm -hmm. So in our mind, we think that when we put these attachments on or get a sew in or a relaxer, whatever the case might be, on one end, we're emulating those that we see in, in, you know, in media, and we think that we're associating more with Caucasian people or whatever race, because Black women just don't have long hair. Black women can't have this texture of hair. When in truth, we come in all shades, all textures, all colors. We really bring it all. Our hair can grow just as down to our ankles if we allowed and released it from the glue and the strings and allowed <laughs> it to breathe. You know what I'm saying? If we took care of it, if we actually understood the natural way that we were taking care of ourselves prior to somebody telling us that we were ugly, telling us mm -hmm. that our hair didn't look good, if we just went back to the natural order of things, even if we just went back to the natural diet that we have, we will be living like Methuselah live. But we are not even in our own natural state and condition. Therefore, what we get is ugliness. And when I say ugly, I'm speaking ugly because we have turned on ourselves. We have abandoned our natural way and accepted a way that is foreign to us. We have taken on or have been held hostage, really, with traditions and ways that are not our traditions and ways. So what do you expect when you mix truth with falsehood? What do you expect when you are completely going in the opposite direction of what you originally did? Man, the, 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 the self-hatred is just real with us. And I think that really we just have to realize that, I, well, just in my humble opinion, many of the things that we, I think we go into adulthood carrying the baggage from childhood of what we've been told about ourselves and what we've been told about our inadequacies. 
and what we need to do as women to make us look a certain way. And I think maybe you don't necessarily see anything wrong with yourself when you get here. Because no, nobody looks at themselves as a young person and goes, oh, I don't look this way, I don't look that way. Somebody points something out. And it's in pointing stuff out that we become insecure. Like, where do insecurities come from? And why do we feel the need to always have something extra in order to validate us? I feel like sometimes that we, we try to validate our own existence sometimes through things, through things outside of ourselves and not understanding that we got to work from the inside out, not the outside in. So you can put all of the outside decorations on yourself that you like but it doesn't change on the inside what you really feel about yourself and i think that's where the crisis comes in because okay i can go out and i can get all the plastic surgery in the world i can get the finest clothes i can get the highest degrees i can do all of that but if i hate myself i still got to deal with myself mm-hmm. anyway And so when I don't deal with myself, what do I do is I project. So I project my inadequacies on the next person that looks like me to tell them that what's wrong with them and to really plant insecurities in them. So then they feel the need to go out and do A, B, C, and D. And and I just want to put this out here because so many of our sisters wear, you know, extra hair and extra this and extra that. And I think I said from the very beginning, I don't think that it's everybody. I think that there's sometimes people just want a hairstyle that they want, or they have natural hair and they want to protect their hair. And so they wear protective hairstyles. And even when we discuss Hollywood, part of the reason that a lot of those women wear their hair like that is because when you're in roles and you're in all of these things, you don't want people constantly doing something to your hair, your natural Mm -hmm. hair to make it a way for your role or for a modeling gig. And so that's why they do that because it's really to protect their hair. So I get that part too. And so we don't want to put it out there like that. That's why they're doing it. But to me as a parent, what do you say, what message do you send to your 10 year old when you put a weave in your 10 year old's hair? <laughs> it's the conditioning. I think that we're looking at because there's no reason quite frankly for teenagers to be walking around with that then they, you know, they don't have a job or anything. So somebody else is buying it. And so what message do you send when you, when, when you see that, I think is more or less. And so it's just like, I think each person has to examine for themselves. Why do I, why do I, why do I put this in my hair? Or why am I, why do I feel the need to change this? What, ask those questions. Why are you doing it? It's so you, you make such a great point. Um, Akila, and actually, I, I, I kind of see that as um, being a, um, an answer, you know, that we, that we can, or answer that will allow us to derive, or excuse me, a question that will allow us to arrive at the answer that will help us to, you know, really get to the root and identify what's really going on. I recall going through a period and a phase where I had to ask all of those questions, you know, to myself. And a lot of it, you know, went back to childhood, of course. I mean, I can remember as a young girl and, um, (laughs) 
you know, I would get, I would sit in that kitchen and get my hair pressed, you know, and I remember I wanted my hair to be straight and long, you know, straight and long. And I can remember um, in my mind, because I know my mother would take, um, what was that green grease that, or either that blue magic, whatever the grease <laughs> that we use in our kitchen. And then she would put a little of that to my head and then, you know, press it and all the smoke would come or whatever. But that was a process that I went through, you know, at least weekly. But I remember um, I would sometimes play in the grease. And I'm trying to think of how old I was. I don't know. I probably was like eight, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know. But I remember playing in the grease, adding extra grease to my hair because I thought that by adding all of that to my hair, my hair was going to be shinier and longer and glossier when I was really just making a foolish mess. You know, now fast forward, I used to be like the queen of, you know, um, makeup. I mean, I would spend, this is when fashion fair was popular. I don't even know if they still make fashion fair, to be honest, excuse my ignorance. But I remember I would go over to what then was Marshall Fields and I would spend almost 500 plus dollars on makeup, like shoot, probably every other month. And that's how much I was just into like all of this stuff. And I would honestly, in, in reflection, I was looking like a clown, probably like homie the clown. I don't know, or Ronald McDonald, because I would, it was so important to me um, to mimic after what I was seeing, you know, um, in media, watching, you know, whether it be news reporters or whoever, you know, was in fashion week. <clears throat> it was important that I look like that. So I spent a great amount of time and energy making sure that I mask myself so that I can get this certain look. And then the same way with the hair weaves and everything else. I mean, there used to be a time I honestly can admit that I was addicted to attachments. I'm not talking about body part attachments. I'm talking about hair attachments. Like, I would feel naked if I didn't have makeup. I would feel naked if I did not have something attached to my head. And a lot of this went back to, again, what I had become so comfortable with over the course of the years. And really, I realized when going back to you, you know, just saying, ask yourself the question, I realized through asking myself the question and doing a self-analysis and a self-evaluation that it, I needed to cover up what I did not think was beautiful. And it wasn't so much that I was called anything other than beautiful, but I know that for years, um, just having things presented to me as the standard of beauty definitely affected who I thought I was and what I felt like I should mimic myself after. And it's not like I had someone to say, oh, no, you're beautiful. Not that, you know, I had a mother who told me anything opposite. I'm sure she told me I was beautiful. But that was not enough to compete with a world that I was living in that was telling me that this was the standard of beauty. So I do believe that asking those questions and doing a self-analysis and doing a self-evaluation can help with us being able to get to a point where we want to self-correct and self or understand 
you know, the whys so that we can eventually be comfortable. And I can, you know, to further this, I would say I remember eventually just getting to a place where I could honestly say that I am comfortable. I'm comfortable minus, you know, the makeup. I'm comfortable minus the, the hair. We, I'm comfortable and I'm okay with that. And this is who I am. And I don't care who likes it or doesn't like it. Does that mean that, you know, some of these things I'll never do? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it meant I had to get to a place that I was comfortable no matter what kind of skin I was in. And to me, that was that ultimate place of being able to say I love myself. Which is not always going to be easy for some because everybody don't necessarily want to go through all of those steps or maybe that's just too much work or because the whole world is telling you, girl, don't worry about none of that. We got a weed to help you out. Don't worry about that. We got the right kind of makeup to cover that up, you know, whatever the case might be. And media images are in media images do affect because if you see something over and over and over and over again, there's repetition, things do get planted in the subconscious. And so we think that it doesn't matter, but that's when we talk about images and the black images that we see and when we don't see them. You know, if you, and many of us grew up watching TV shows, watching all sorts of things, and there were, there were not a lot of black people. So you didn't even, even from your, the, the comics and the cartoons, even our superheroes couldn't look like us for the most part. So, you know, so you've been inundated basically with, with, with what image is beautiful. And so I think that that starts to pick away at our self-esteem as well as our identity. And, and, you know, why can't there be a this? But that's like when they show studies, when they'll, they'll show you how, Black children respond when they see a positive reflection of themselves on the screen. It has a, it has an impact on them. So, you know, even, even having had a black president with his wife actually did wonders for many of our children in reality, in terms of the standard of what, what they thought was possible and what they deemed okay. So images matter is so much that matters. But like I said, I think we need to, you know, those, I think, yes, that question is certainly a solution as to how do we get out of this crisis is to first, the first step is to really ask yourself, why do you do what you do? And, and what about, you know, if you rely heavily on something, you know, go, go a week without the weave and auto makeup and see how you feel about yourself. And, you know, and if, if, if you do that, you can see what makes you uneasy. Write it down. All of the feelings, and maybe that'll help to answer that question. Doc? I guess this comes to the time, but I do my challenges, right? <laughs> well, I got, a, I, got a, I got a couple. First, we have to accept our own and be ourselves. That's the first thing. We have to stop looking for something externally to make us feel beautiful or for make us accept ourselves. We got to stop doing it. Accept our own and be ourselves. And who are we? 
What did I say earlier? The original man is the Asiatic black man and maker, the owner, the cream of the planet Earth, God of the universe, and that includes the black woman. We have to accept the fact that we are gods of the universe. I have to reinforce that again, because for some reason, we seem to think we are the wretched of the earth. No, we are the gods of the universe. We have to reevaluate our concept of self, where the origin of beauty of self came from. We need to reevaluate that. We need to find what's wrong within ourselves, find out where we lost the true beauty of what God put in us. We have to make sure that our concept of beauty is in alignment with God's concept of beauty. And of course, his first creation is what? The black woman. And we are the epitome of what beauty is. We have to teach that to our children and we have to reinforce that to one another. We have to pray for self-love and acceptance. That's something that we have to pray for consistently because we, if we don't have it now, we need to start asking God to help us find it. We need to watch how people view us when we change how we think of ourselves. Because when you change how you think of yourself, this is how you are going to influence how others think of you. You have to tell people that you're beautiful. And how do you tell them? You accept your own and be yourself. Accept the fact that you are beautiful to you. It ain't really going to matter what anybody else got to say. Either they on, they on board or they not. I really could care less what people think. I tell people what to think about me because that's what I think about myself. Whether people agree, I really don't give a damn. I don't because I know I am the co-creator. I am the co-creator. I am the queen of this universe and I am God's first creation. So it really don't matter what anybody else's opinion uh, about me is anyway, because God's opinion is the only one that matters. Those are my challenges. Sometimes we have to, ex to, we have to um, be taught how to accept. And a part of that is, you know, like some people don't even, can't even accept the compliment. Mm. You know, somebody tells you, oh, sister, that is so pretty. Oh, this old raggedy thing. This old thing. And so what is the, the, the deeper root of that? Is it because you don't feel like you're worthy? Do you actually feel that for someone to give you a compliment, does it make you that uncomfortable mm, when you were it. created in the eyesight of the God himself. So don't be comfortable in your own glory. So I think it, as Akila stated earlier, we have to first, you know, get comfortable with who we are. We could be told it all day. And that's another thing I'm realizing that just because somebody is talked to, preached to, and told something, that can't always deliver us from evil thinking. Because sometimes it takes more than just being told and preached to. You know, you, we, we hope that the word will resonate deep and penetrate enough to where it can perform some type of exorcism and get down deep, you know, and I pray that that's what the podcasts are eventually able to do. But we also do accept and understand that sometimes it can be a little bit more than that. We may need a little more depending upon how many layers we working with. How deeply rooted is the disease that you have of self-hatred and your lack of being able to identify and relate to who you are as the beautiful black queen that you are.
-hmm. or black king that you are. So we get it. We understand that there's been a number done on us all intentionally. But that ain't stopping no shows up in this piece. Why? Because there is an awakening that's taking place today. And we are being awakened or reawakened. And we are taking our rightful place. Many of us are rising up. Many of us are staying no more. Many people are accepting their own and they are being themselves. And many people are comfortable in their own skin. Many people don't mind saying, I'm beautiful and I'm black and I'm proud. But for the many that do, there are many that don't. So that's why conversations that we have on this show are able to balance out, balance it all out. And this is why it also is important that each one teach one. So I like to add, you know, to the challenge and to the solution in that when we see our sisters and we see our brothers, but I'm speaking now to the sisters, when we see one another, whether we come across one another, you know, whether it's at the store, I don't care if it's a person that you don't know. And I try to do this as much as I'm able to. And it's, a, it's something to see the effect. But to say, man, sister, you know, you're beautiful. Wow, that's, that's your hair, you know, especially if, you know, of course I say it if it's the truth. Um, and there's something, a beauty that you can find in every person if you look hard enough. And you can see somebody whose face might be frowned up and you tell them how, you know, beautiful their skin is or how beautiful they are and they will smile and light up. So we have to start with ourselves by being an example and not being afraid to um, share with one another the beauty that we see in the mirror. Because every time we look at another sister or brother, we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at a God. We're looking at the reflection of God within us. So I think that's something that I would like to just say and add as a challenge. Let's do it. Why not? And, you know, even seeing little girls, I do it a lot, especially when I see young people. You know, young boy or young little sister. Man, you're beautiful. Oh, man, look at how strong you are or whatever. Because maybe they're not being told that. Maybe the language that they're getting or the words that they're getting is something that we wouldn't want to repeat. Or something that can be found on their birth certificate. So it's up to us to take on the responsibility of feeding the flock. Well, thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope that you join us next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Empress, please visit the website royalempress.org. You can also follow the Royal Empress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Empress is a subsidiary of the Royal Empress Organization. All rights reserved.